Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. New VanCast to start the week, and Drancer, I sort of feel like we have this responsibility as the hosts of a market-leading podcast that covers the Vancouver Canucks that we got to be the pick-me-up for people after a lost weekend for the hockey club, and lots of material, obviously, to get into. Uh, first and foremost, thanks to everybody for the feedback. We did the, the special Saturday show, sort of an issue-driven, there were some heavy topics to get to, and uh, we just felt it was imp- important to, to push that one out, and... I appreciate everybody that listened to it, as we always do, and uh, thanks to the people that took a moment to drop us a line and, and let us know that they appreciate it. I was just looking back at our records here, Tom. This is the final day of August as we record this. This is our 13th podcast in the month of August alone. That's It has been an epic month. Yeah, it has, and an epic month for the Canucks, you know, and I think... Yep. You know, hopefully the VanCast is received by listeners in a way that's a little bit less polarizing than this Canucks team itself. Because if I have one takeaway from watching the game and then watching this unfold on social media as I worked on a couple columns late last night, it's that this Canucks team is effectively like a Rorschach test. You know what I mean? Like, you can see whatever you want in this Canucks team. You can see it. You can see the 2015 Flames. Right There's people who see the 2015 Flames, a team that advanced to the second round, got throttled in five games by the Anaheim Ducks, and has not made it back past the first round of the postseason since. Other people see the 2009 Chicago Blackhawks before they really got hot, right? There's people who react to the back-to-back losses to Vegas and think, boy, everything's gravy. What a success that this team even made it here. They've learned so much. And some people are like, man, this team just got exposed against elite competition. And guess what? Everyone's right. Like, it's yeah, all... No, you are bang on. Yeah, it's all reasonable. Like, this is a big picture story. It's not a story about this team. This team was not going to win the Stanley Cup this year. But there are pieces here that could congeal into that in the years to come. And their fate, there's no inevitability. History might repeat itself because of similar patterns and similar decisions being made by people in similar situations over and over again ad infinitum, but we're not there yet. Like This team will be defined by what's next, not by what's now, and not by the past month. But I do think we've learned some tremendous things about this team. I think a lot of them are wholly positive, and I think a lot of them are not. And, and I think it's fun to get into it all. Fair enough. 
But as I said on the radio on the post-game show on Sunday night, and I'll say it again, this is not the eulogy podcast. They're not no. done. They're still no. in this thing. And we'll set aside the heavy, and trust me, if we did 13 pods in August, we may do 13 more in September, you know, looking back and then looking ahead. But you know, right now, we'll focus on the weekend that was, because the Canucks went into the weekend in a one-all series tie after the extraordinary pause, and they had a chance. They had a chance to come out of this thing into a best of three. They had a chance to come out with Vegas on the verge of playoff elimination. There were a number of scenarios at play. And, you know, there were stretches for the Vancouver Canucks. Like, their best players were terrific on Sunday. They flushed the efforts of uh, just a brilliant power play goal by Elias Pettersson. You know, Quinn Hughes, people have been wondering, where's Quinn Hughes? Quinn Hughes showed up. JT Miller had a point on all the goals. Toffoli has made himself known in his return. You know, again, lots of good news stories, as you say, from the guys that you want, but unfortunately, it can't just be two or three guys. And, you know, we, very f- seldom have we said the Canucks needed a save or the Canucks have, the, you know, the, the, they're getting out goaltended not by not one, but two guys at the other end. But, you know, they did. They needed some saves from Jacob Markstrom. And, you know, that brings into the goaltending decision, the, the back-to-backs to go with the same guy when your opponent switched goaltenders, when other coaches around the league uh, were dividing up the workload and Travis Green went with his guy as I expected he would. And I think I probably would have too if I had been the one filling out the lineup card. But mm-hmm. you go back to the Minnesota series, Jacob Markstrom struggled in the back half of back-to-backs there and they outscored their problems against an inferior opponent like the Wild. They couldn't outscore the problems against the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know, you're never going to play perfect hockey, but you, you can't shoot yourself in the foot with too many men on the ice penalties two games in a row yeah. and have the Golden Knights score on the power play on both of them. You know, that's a bad look on the Vancouver Canucks when you're trying to keep up with, you know, this team that is just full of talent. So, again, I like the fact that... And I, and I figured they would. Like, I, I was... I didn't like... The fact that they lost 3 nothing, Like, the scoreline on Saturday wasn't great. Get shut out in two or three games. But I was pretty confident that they would respond the way that they did. And for 40 minutes, they stood in there with the Vegas Golden Knights. And so I will give the Canucks credit, but it's not a two-period game. you got to play to the final buzzer. And unfortunately, that third period was their undoing last night. It was. And I think what you said, though... Is sort of gets to the meat of, of what I mean when I talk about the big picture and, and staying focused on that as much as possible, which is if there's one thing that I'm going to take, I think, or uh, from this month and, and remember and sort of keep in mind about this core group, especially, you know, in the years and months to come, it's that over the course of a weird month in Edmonton in a bubble scenario – you began to see the forming of what looks to me like true belief, right? Like what looks to me like a team that's now earned the benefit of the doubt that no matter what situation they're in and no matter what the result is, as game four was a loss for them by two, like I know that this team's going to show up and I know that they're going to work a certain way and that the passion and intensity is going to be there. And, you know... I brought this up on the 1040 postgame show with you, J-Pat, but I think about that Patrick Sharp quote. Like, I do. And I, and I think about the idea that, you know, there's something in these jerseys is how the Blackhawks began to feel even when they were down in playoff games. And it's why they pulled off all manner of, you know, ridiculous comebacks and, you know, outrageous escapes, many of which broke the hearts of Canucks fans over the years, right? You're not going to get to where this team needs to get to if you don't pull out some ridiculous shit. Whether or not it's 
performing the way they did in Game 4, whether or not it's the Game 5 comeback against St. Louis, right? Whether it's just overwhelming the Minnesota Wild, coming back and winning it in overtime in Game 4, right? Like, you don't get to this point in the playoffs without pulling off some ridiculous shit. You certainly don't become a cup winner without doing so. And you definitely aren't a contending team for year year after year in the playoffs if you can't do that. The Canucks have shown me anyway that they can lift their game, right? They've shown me that they can play with a different level. I thought for a long for long stretches of yesterday's game that it was probably one of their best against the against the Vegas Golden Knights in this series, including Game Two, including the first period of Game Three. Right? Those are sort of the stretches where they've shown they can compete. They didn't win. They didn't get it done. There's a lot of reasons for that, and we'll get into all of those too. But I do think that the way that we've seen a, a, a character and a genuine belief form in this team is really what's going to matter the most when I consider you know, what this core ceiling is in the years to come. And, and that's really the main takeaway that I've kind of, kind of had when I consider not just this series to this point, this, but this playoffs as a whole. And I'm curious to see what that means for games five, six, and seven. Because we're in a bubble environment where teams just are not coming back. They are not fighting their way back from the brink the way they usually do in the playoffs. The fourth game is no longer the toughest to win. we'll, We'll see if the character that the Canucks have shown to this point applies now that the stakes are highest and their season is on the line. Yeah, we'll get that chance on Tuesday night when they face Vegas in game number five. You know, even go back to Saturday. Like, it's 2 nothing into the third period. Like, they're not out of that game at all. And they started the third on the power play, and that's where they took the too many men on the ice penalty, and then Mark Stone scores. But if the Canucks score a power play goal of their own, you know, it's 2-1, you got the rest of the period, and again, an opportunity there in front of them. And so uh, that too many men on the ice penalty was just, that was a killer. Yes. And that was a great goal by Stone. Like, I mean, talk about a guy that picked his spot and just yeah. ripped it. Like, that was a big-time goal scorer's goal that takes that from a 2-0 game to a 3-0 game, and the hammer was down then. And I guess if there was a moment on the weekend where I would question Travis Green in hindsight, it was, you know, would there have been a benefit to getting Markstrom out at 3-0 on Saturday and just give him the rest of the night off to rest up? And I look, we're talking 15 minutes of hockey time and a half hour, so I don't know that there was enough to be gained there, but... All I do know is that, like that Minnesota series, on back-to-backs, and we always say rested Jacob Markstrom is a better Jacob Markstrom, you know, there were goals on Sunday that he just, he had to stop. The first one, Pacioretty, it's a power play goal, but still that looked like a stoppable goal in a scoreless game, right? And Mm -hmm. the team that scored first has won every game in this series, so the first goal is holding some weight, even though the Canucks came back and, and took a lead, but the team that has scored first has gone on to win all the games in the series so far. So the Pacioretty goal... And then the Nate Schmidt goal. And there were breakdowns all around. But, you know, if they could have just... I'm sure in the dressing room, they're thinking, you know, get out of the first five minutes of the third period with that 3-2 lead and then, you know, work another five-minute chunk at that point and try and run time off the clock. And instead, the Canucks are scrambling in their own zone. Tyler Myers looked like he just kind of froze up or cramped up or something, but he couldn't continue mm-hmm. on a shift that turned out to be a minute and 49 seconds. It looked like he hit the wall at an inopportune time. And Nate Schmidt scores, and you could just sort of sense, like, this Vegas team is designed, they're programmed, and they could smell blood. And sure enough, you know, they got a huge balance, right? I mean, that Pacioretty goal was stupid, but 
Sometimes you need those kind of bounces. Vertanen yep. misses at one end, and Pacioretty gets the, the pinball goal. And then, again, there were too many breakdowns on the 5-3 goal. So in five minutes, it went from a 3-2 Canuck lead to the 5-3 scoreline that the game finished with. But I just look at the Pacioretty goal to start and the Nate Schmidt goal. Those were ones that you needed to save from Jacob Markstrom. Yeah, Oh, 100%. And and Markstrom, I think, would want a lot of those goals back. He said all five post-game, which was, uh, you know, classic, classic Jacob Markstrom. But, yeah, I mean, the underlying logic of this series requires that the Canucks have to have better goaltending. I don't think you can say they have, right? Uh, and that's not a knock on Jacob Markstrom so much as it's praise for Leonard and Fleury, who've been outrageous. Like, that Fleury save on Elias Pettersson, right? I'm, it's a two-goal lead for the Canucks if he doesn't make that. And that was absolute, absolute robbery, right? You might call him a fence with the way that he <laughs> just completely <laughs> ripped off Pedersen there. So, you know, I, I think the fact is, is that Vegas has had better goaltending in addition to everything they're able to do at five-on-five. Five. And, you know, the Canucks' pal- penalty kill has struggled, which sort of limits the advantage that they get from having this lethal power play. And, you know, th- this Canucks team has been surprisingly annoying to play for opponents in the playoffs. And and the reasons are pretty simple, right? They win all their draws, and they do a lot of cool stuff off of their draws in terms of offensive action, right? Uh, they've generated a ton of goals there. They have an absolutely lethal power play, and their goaltending is rock solid. And when you put those things together, like, man, they're an annoying opponent. They're, they're a really tough tournament team. They're already that, and that's pretty incredible. But against Vegas, a, a lot of that's been undermined, and Vegas has been able to just forecheck the absolute living hell out of the Canucks. And, you know, for me anyway, that's sort of the defining thing I'll remember about this series is that Vegas looks to me like one of the best forechecking teams I've seen in the sport in five years, maybe the whole decade. Uh, We'll see if they're able to do that with other teams, but the only way to get them to back off is to break out consistently. And the Canucks just haven't been able to. And you know, that's sort of, that's sort of the story. Now I just want to talk really quickly about the Vertanen miss because you brought it up. Right. And you know, I'm I'm glad that Alex Tuck over the weekend has, you know, continued to make me look smart. Like, could he have had more space on that goal in game three, right? Like, he had, like, a bus length between him and the next closest Canucks defender. And, you know, I, I liked the question after, I think it was Kuzma, right? It was Ben Kuzma who asked Travis about it. He was like, could you have defended it better? And he's like, yeah, we could have defended it better. Right. <laughs> right? That Was, was that Kuz? I don't want to wrongly... I don't want to wrongly yes. shout yeah. out the media yeah. member who who got dogged on, but uh, the, I mean, they could have defended it better, but kind of, only kind of, right? Like Alex Tuck's just going to do that here and there, and you know, he drew a Phil Kessel comparison in terms of his impact on Vegas's third line from Pete DeBoer pregame on Sunday. Um, I'm glad he's made me look smart. His speed game has really played and tormented the Canucks all series. The Canucks are not the first team in this playoffs or round robin to be tormented by Tuck's speed. They're not going to be the last. This guy's a machine. And, you know, I was sort of pointing it out that Alex Tuck's kind of the player that Canucks fans think Jake Vertanen is. And, and I want to note that Jake Vertanen's played extremely well. Right? Like, 
even last night, I thought Jake Vertanen had a really good game. There were a couple turnovers you maybe didn't love in the offensive end, but, I mean, nothing to write home about. And the fact is that the Canucks widely outshot their opponent with him on the ice. They've outshot, outchanced opponents with him on the ice 5-on-5 five five by a wider margin than they've done with anyone else on the roster. In part, that's because he plays slightly softer minutes, but in part, it's because he's playing really well. And it's just funny to me because in the season, during the season, he was putting up points, right? And he had the occasional loud hit. And I was like, I don't think he's playing that well, but fans were loving it, right? Now you get to the playoffs and he's playing better hockey for me. And I feel like his stock among his most deluded supporters has never been lower because he's not the playoff Jake of their power forward dreams, right? But he's actually played really well and been effective. And it's just this sort of funny dynamic. And and I did note, too, how many times Green brought up the miss. Do you think that Green was – do you think that was pointed and that he would have talked like that about any player because it was such a big swing moment in the game? Or do you think that was pointed from Green last night? I, th- I I took that as just a pivotal moment in the hockey game. I, I didn't right. think that there was anything directed at the player. I agree with you. Just, for what that was a moment. When we talk about they needed saves, they needed a goal in that moment, and they didn't get it, and then we know what happened. And so uh, I'm with you, but I also, like, you, know, you can only praise a guy so much when there isn't a bottom line, and especially when the Jake Vertanen on the other side is a guy that we have spent all series talking about, right? Not only drafted in the same year, but, you know, a similar style of game. And Alex Tuck at times has taken the series over. And so, you know, that was Jake's moment. There's no question that that was Jake's moment to shine. And unfortunately for him, it didn't happen. And in some ways, I kind of feel like we're back to where we all were in that St. Louis series after four games. And that is that, you know, the cry is there for some help for the top guys. The top guys continue to play well. The top guys continue to produce. The power play was good. It got two. Yeah, you would have liked it to have got another one somewhere along the line to extend the lead. But, you know, if they're not getting support lower in the lineup and a depth forward doesn't have a single point in this series mm-hmm. so far, and you look at Tuck and you look at Chandler Stevenson scoring last night. And then yep. the other one for me, Drantz, is... And I, I guess I hadn't watched Shea Theodore enough. Like, I, I had a general sense of what Shea Theodore was, but getting a chance to watch him on a nightly basis, oh, as much as ridiculous. We all, right, we all rave about Quinn Hughes, and that's great. And, and this isn't, for right now, this isn't about Quinn Hughes. This is about Shea Theodore doing amazing things, too. And I know a lot of people are talking about, you got Heiskin and you got Makar, you got Hughes, you got Theodore in the bubble in Edmonton. Like, what a treat to watch all four of those guys. But Shea Theodore leads all scorers in this series with seven points. That guy is all over the ice. Like, there are times I think he's got a twin brother uh, on that Vegas team because <laughs> he's up ice. He's the first guy in, uh, but he hustles back. You know, his reads, his reactions, uh, his ability to contribute. But it's not just Shea Theodore. They got 15 points in this series from their defensemen. And that's another area that they're outclassing the Vancouver Canucks. That, you know, if it's not Hughes and it's not Alex Edler, then the Canucks just aren't getting contributions from anybody that plays the defense position. And so when you look at depth scoring for the Golden Knights, you look at contributions from the back end. Those are two areas that Vegas has absolutely had an upper hand in this series. Yeah, and and making what Shea Theodore has done even more impressive, right, is the fact that he, him and Martinez have really been minding the Pedersen line throughout the series, right? Like that's been how Vegas has answered Elias Pedersen. But no, Shea, Shea Theodore's, like, 
he doesn't have the same kind of elusiveness as Quinn Hughes. It's a little bit more subtle. But when he starts just moving his hip, moving his hips and his hands at the blue line, like he can do all manner of cruel things. And and even the very simple plays he makes, just sort of passing around the offensive end, you know, come with this level of deceptiveness that just honestly, several times a game, whenever I watch him, leaves me going like, oh, that looks like no fun to defend that. Like that just looks awful. I would hate to be in that position. This guy's amazing. Uh, just an incredible player and and really reaching a different level over the past eight months worth of hockey like he's really hit a, a different standard for himself um, and it's been enormously impressive to see like at this point I'd expect him to be like on Canada's Olympic team like he's at that level now right like he's an elite elite defenseman just coming into his own and I will you know I will say Quinn Hughes has we know Quinn Hughes has been a little quiet in this series right he he's He's on the watch list with with the likes of JT Miller for some kind of injury to be disclosed at garbage bag day or whatever the equivalent of garbage bag day is in this, you know, type of world we're living in, right? Like, yeah, uh, he hasn't quite looked right. And, you know, I do think that's also shone a spotlight on the other shortcoming that this team has sort of been exposed for having in this series, which is, you know, not one that I think is a surprise to us. And that's just that this team's too reliant on Hughes to break the puck out for them, right? Like throughout this playoff, even even Minnesota, even St. Louis, when they made the Canucks really work or, or took over games against them, you know, it was just because the Canucks couldn't move the puck. They couldn't break out. They couldn't get, they couldn't, their D couldn't hold up to the point that they could activate that North-South game, which is their bread and butter. And, you know, just like a deeper, more mobile defense core has to be right there at the top of the Canucks shopping list. <clears throat> and what complicates all of this, of course, J-Pat, as we know, is the cap situation. The fact that, you know, as this team needs to get better, they also need to get cheaper. And it's not an impossible trick to pull, but it's a damn tough one. Yeah, and again, we'll get into big picture offseason <laughs> things in time. You're, you're starting to, the eulogy here again. They're, I'm they're not, alive. I'm and, not. And, okay, I'm but, not. I but like to look down, at it all at down, once. I like to do the Fair time enough. is a flat I, circle thing. I got you. <laughs> it's always the offseason. They're, they're down three. <laughs> uh, they're down three one in this series, which means it's a close shave for them. Which is my easy way to get into telling you about Manscaped. Oh, nice. And when you get out of the bubble here, Drance, I'm telling you, this is going to be waiting for you. But oh, the fine folks wait. at Manscaped sent us product the other day. Now I'm not going to give you a personal testimonial. Nobody needs that. No, but. I opened this package that they sent, and they sent us the lawnmower 3.0. And we're Ooh. talking like some serious craftsmanship. This thing is a machine. I got it all charged up. It, uh, uh, it's there. It's ready to roll. And when I talk about the lawnmower 3.0, we're talking about well, it's waterproof. It's got an LED light. It's made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts. Nobody wants uh, those. It's it's more than just the lawnmower, though. You got to see. And I'll wait till you get home and you open up this box that they sent you. It's a care package uh, with all kinds of stuff. And uh, we've got an opportunity for our listeners to get a 20% off discount at manscaped.com with the code THEATHLETIC20. So you go to manscaped.com, you get free shipping, you get 20% off. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. You use the code THEATHLETIC20 and you won't be disappointed, I'm telling you. So check it out, manscaped.com. 
I'm sure our listeners want to hear us talk a little bit about Ryan Reeves and Quinn Hughes because I haven't seen Travis Green that animated. Uh, I certainly haven't seen Travis Green engage with players on the other side. Like There generally is that unwritten rule that, you know, in hockey, players can go after players, but coaches generally don't have an interaction with players on the other side. But we know that Ryan Reeves has been a focal point on and off the ice throughout this series. And I got some heat on Twitter because I guess I went against the Canuck fan base. I, I, I think Quinn Hughes owned a little bit of that hit by turning back. And that's what Quinn Hughes does. That's what makes him special is he's got escapability that most guys don't. And usually he can spin out of those things. We haven't seen Quinn Hughes lined up and, and you know, creamed into the boards very often in his short NHL career because he's got this awareness. I think he has a sense of, you know, where he is, but where other guys are as well. And I thought Ryan Reeves was closing. If Quinn Hughes continues around the boards as if he was going to go deeper into the Vegas end, I'm not even sure Ryan Reeves catches him. But Quinn Hughes tries to spin off that check. And in my mind, it was the wrong decision in that moment. And I didn't think there was much Ryan Reeves could do. And I got people screaming at me, headshot and intent to injure. And look, it's just a guy that has 70 pounds on Quinn Hughes. Like, if he gets him, yeah, he's going to smoke him. And that's what happened. And unfortunately... Hughes is pinned up ice to fully kind of get tangled up with Reeves. And that was the Chandler Stevenson goal that uh, Vegas went the other way and ultimately took a 2-1 lead. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I agree with you. Like, I think it was borderline, right? Like it was a borderline sure. call. And it was, I, yeah. And no, and I think you nailed it. Like, I think that's the reason why it wasn't called boarding was, you know, just the overall momentum that Hughes sort of had and versus versus Reeves, right? This was a usually uncatchable object uh, stopping in the tracks of a, an immovable force. Like that's kind of what it was. And, you know, no one would have, no one would have bat an eyelash if that was called. And I don't think anyone should bat an eyelash that it wasn't like for me anyway. I, I just thought it was borderline call and the, the green Reeves exchange. I, I enjoyed Pete DeBoer's reaction to it. Like it, it felt familiar to me. <laughs> from from a couple of years ago. That's perfect. And you know, I think I think pretty clearly I don't I don't think Green engaged him, right? Like it looked from the video and I couldn't hear it unfortunately in the building, but it looked on the video like Green was telling him don't talk to me. <laughs> um which is good fun too. Uh but yeah, look, the Canucks bench should be mad. Like that's what they should do. Vegas spent all of game 4 calling out the Canucks for diving. Stay on your feet. It's a man's game. Like, oh, you fucking dive. And it's like, yeah, Mott got fucking elbowed in the head away from the puck. <laughs> yeah, his head snapped back. Like, that was not a dive. I'm sorry. I have no time for this. Um, that was what Vegas – Vegas works the refs. Like, And they worked the refs yesterday anyway by just constantly being like, stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. Oh, that's a fucking dive. That's a dive too. Oh, another dive. Oh, stay on your feet. Like, that was what they did. That was what the Vegas Golden Knights did throughout game four. They were working the refs. The Canucks should be doing the same. They should be saying that's a penalty. That's a slew foot. And they were. That's the dynamic. That's fine. We all know which team is more physical and which team is more more likely to be the aggressor. All of that said, for me, I think the Reeves hit focused the Canucks up. They played their best hockey after that goal in that game until the third period, right? Like from that hit through to the end of the second, 
That was the stretch in which the Canucks won the most battles. They were the most physically assertive. That was their best hockey maybe of this series for me. So, you know, they didn't like the hit. They shouldn't have liked the hit. They wanted a penalty. They should have wanted a penalty. But they responded the right way after that goal. And they played real hard and real well thereafter. Right. And I just want to be perfectly clear. Like, I don't want to see Quinn Hughes get hurt. Like, I was worried when he gets, you know, steamrolled by Ryan Reeves. I was worried that, you know, he may not pop up. So, I'm not pinning this on Quinn Hughes. I just think Quinn Hughes is, you know, he's a fair game. He's 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 on the ice surface. He's going to get hit. He's been hit in this series. He hasn't been hit by Ryan Reeves very often. But the irony, to your point, and I agree with you, like it did seem to get the Canucks fired up. And what's the best way to, you know, keep Ryan Reeves from running around and doing Ryan Reeves things is don't let him on the ice. And sure enough, the Canucks tie the game early in the second period. Then they go ahead Ryan Reeves played five seconds of the final nine and a half minutes of the second period when they were trailing. So, you know, it's sort of twofold. It wakes the Canucks up. It gets them to a point where they get back in the hockey game, but it also neutralizes Ryan Reeves. So it was sort of his own undoing, if you will, uh, with that hit on Quinn Hughes. Unfortunately, Quinn Hughes popped up. And, and look, we've said throughout this series, like, yeah, Quinn Hughes doesn't look quite right. And I think a lot of that's what Vegas is doing just in, in the way that they have made him a, a target. And... You know, Pete DeBoer was asked about it, and I thought, uh, I thought he, Pete DeBoer's been really impressive to me. Just uh, maybe you've spent more time around him uh, in your hockey travels, but like I, I, you know, I know who Pete DeBoer is, but I haven't really sat and listened to him on a daily basis. You know, and and he was willing to sort of he was asked about what the Golden Knights have done, you know, to defend Quinn Hughes so well, and this was ahead of game four and you know a lot of coaches won't talk about players on the other side or if they do it's you know throwing sort of faint praise right like pump the guy up and Pete DeBoer kind of went down the road of you know and he said like it's not just Quinn Hughes this is how we want to play all the good players on the other side and uh, but he kind of went into you know how much focus that they're putting on Quinn Hughes and Quinn Hughes has to take that as a massive compliment I mean all these teams in in the playoffs so far, have tried to use him as a focal point, and you know Minnesota couldn't stop him, and then St. Louis he got rolling, and he may be fighting through something, but at the same time, like he played almost eleven minutes of the third period on Saturday, and twenty six and a half minutes, and had nine shot attempts. Like, yeah, it's got to be quieter around Quinn Hughes than we're used to, but like that's a big league night when you're playing that much and you're getting that many shot attempts like you know if you're if you're hurt like I'm not sure that you're able to lean into a game that much and then to turn around on back-to-backs and he looked a little more like the Quinn Hughes we've seen like he had some ice and you know that pass that he makes to Tyler Toffoli like it's only a 10-foot pass but it's under the stick between the stick and the body of Nate Schmidt like right into Toffoli's wheelhouse you know like that was sort of vintage Quinn Hughes I thought in that moment and you know, and to, and to see him get a couple of points last night, they're both on the power play at even strength. It has been a struggle for him, but, you know, it just, I, I was glad to see him sort of rewarded uh, for his efforts because he's out there trying. Like, there's no doubt that this guy's trying. It just, he's running into a team that's trying to do all they can to keep him in check. So I, I saw signs of life last night from Quinn Hughes, and I thought that at the very least was encouraging. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely was. And, you know, I, I don't want to give ready made excuses or anything. Like, They've, they, you know, so much as all I'm saying is, and here's the sequence that I'm really talking about. The thing that Quinn Hughes does better than just about anyone I've ever seen is his hand-eye and batting pucks out of the air, right? Like when he, when pucks are like coming at the blue line, like with speed 
at knee height. Like, he just always seems to control them. It's crazy. Like, it actually blew me away over the course of the season. And I think about that late power play in Game 3 where he missed, like, three of them. Right. And that just, to me, was like, oh, like, I don't know if it's an upper body or, like, something that would impact his ability to sort of move in that direction. Not that he'd use it a ton necessarily in a game, but, you know, there's something about that that just seemed off to me. So uncharacteristic, just not Quinn Hughes. Like, there's just been a few moments like that where I've wondered. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see in the weeks ahead, right? That's sort of the annual hockey tradition where, (laughs) oh, it's fine. Everyone's totally fine. Oh, yeah, no, he was playing with eight fractured ribs or whatever gruesome hockey injury gets revealed after the playoffs. That's sort of how this works. Um, He's just on watch for me in that respect. And, you know, that said, that said, I agree with you. I think, I think games three and four were his best of the series. No question about that. But ultimately the Canucks haven't controlled play the way they usually do with Quinn Hughes on the ice. Like we're, we're only what? 10 days removed from him being the best defenseman in a series that also featured Pareko and Pietrangelo, right? And in this series, it's just been very, very quiet around him. And partially, I do give credit to the Vegas forecheck. I give credit to the Vegas physical game. But I also wonder if there's something going on there. Have to take another break, and we'll come back with more of the VanCast right after this. This is the Athletic Football Show. I think every football season is a big challenge in one way or another. Introducing the Athletic Football Show, an all-new podcast with me, Robert Mays, and a team of world-class NFL writers and analysts. We'll feature expert guests and our plugged-in beat writers from around the league. What Patrick Mahomes did in the last nine minutes is just absurd. You can subscribe now to the Athletic Football Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice. And stay with us all season long as the Athletic brings you what matters most in today's NFL. All right, so the Cox are down to their final life. They have one loss. Well, they have no losses to give. One more loss, and they are done. They play game five on Tuesday, so a little bit of a breather here after going back-to-back, and we'll see. I mean, the, the, again, the effort level wasn't in question on Sunday night. It was just figuring out a way to stretch it over 60 minutes rather than, than 40 minutes. You wonder, sort of, you know, we're talking about guys playing through things. Like, I commend Tyler Myers for getting back in the lineup. He wants to help this team, but, you know, he didn't look 100%. And and with no access to him and no access to practices, and Travis Green said afterwards, like, they're not practicing much this deep into the playoffs anyhow. So, you know, for a guy like Tyler Myers, I'm sure he's been skating on his own, but, yeah, that's a big ask to jump back into a series that's this quick, that fast, and, you know, get up to speed. And, And I thought... You know, the first two periods were all right. Like, I was okay with Tyler Myers' night to that point, but we talked a little bit about uh, the one shift there and then obviously the fifth goal. Uh, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I've watched the replay a few times. Still not sure what's going on, but I guess you just have to hope for the Canucks' sake and for Myers' sake that he was able to shake a little bit of rust off and that he can be uh, percentage points better uh, in game number five. I thought his mobility played. Like, I thought he was useful with the puck, but... Ultimately, he didn't have a great game. Like, ultimately, the Canucks didn't... The Canucks permitted a lot more with Myers on the ice than they generated. And uh, he led the Canucks in five-on-five ice time in his very first game back. Uh, Partially, maybe that's because he had an extra two-minute shift. But nonetheless, you know, to have that type of minutes burden and to look the way he did overall in terms of his two-way form... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would still call him a net positive, but only only very narrowly. That was not Myers 
at the peak of his form, right? By by any means. And it did show. It did show for sure. And, you know, we'll see. Like, the day off today, I'm sure, will help a lot of guys, and him especially. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Myers is so key to this team because he's the third guy other than Stetcher and Hughes who can get up and down with his feet, right? Who can move that puck pretty well. And... Boy, like that lack of mobility is just killing them in this series. Like a healthy Myers could be a game changer for the Canucks. It just wasn't in game four. Partially, I think you're right, because he just wasn't up to speed. What a crazy dynamic, too, that, you know, this hockey in a bubble and the compressed schedule and everything else. Now you face elimination and in all likelihood, you're going to see a goalie that shut you out twice in this series, like I'm pretty oh, sure the Vegas will go back to Robin Lehner for game number five. So, uh, you know, it doesn't get any easier for the Vancouver Canucks. And the other thing, and I'm just curious to get your take, you know, we spend so much time looking at the Canucks, but obviously there are two teams in a series like this one. Like, I think it's been pretty quiet offensively for Riley Smith, for Jonathan Marcia, so certainly. And, you know, William Carlson scores the fifth goal last night, and Carlson's you know, he plays hard, he plays in all situations, but, you know, he hasn't necessarily left his stamp on this series. Like, it's been a lot of Pacioretty, it's been a lot of talk, Stone has been there consistently, we talked about Shea Theodore, and this just speaks to sort of how widespread the, the weaponry is for the Vegas Golden yep. Knights, but has it looked different to you? Like, I, I just haven't seen, like, Smith scored a power play goal uh, in that first game, the 5 nothing win, but he really hasn't been heard from offensively since. And, you know, Marcia so took a couple penalties, one that uh, he didn't deserve, and maybe that was some payback for the Besser off the glass where, uh, you know, there have been some weird calls, obviously. But whatever the case, uh, it's just like on any given night, there are so many guys on that Vegas side that can beat you. And, and I think that's the cautionary tale here for the Canucks is that just because those guys that I mentioned haven't been heard from yet, uh, Tuesday is another opportunity and they very well could rise up. Yeah. And you know, they might have another series. They might have two more in them, right? Like yes. the, this brings me back to what DeBoer said about tuck on the third line being like Phil Kessel, right. And how a weapon like that really elevates a team really makes a team from a elite team into a real contender, like a real problem for everybody they might face in the playoffs. And, you know, <coughs> Sorry, Demet. Um, a real problem for anyone they might face in the playoffs. And when you think about where this Canucks team needs to get to, right? They may, might have played Brock Besser on the third line in game three or game four, excuse me. But, you know, and look, I actually thought Besser played well, right? That pass to Gaudet, uh, that probably could have been the two-goal lead right there too. <laughs> but it does sort of underscore for me how much work there is to do to build out the depth on this team, right? When you look at what Vegas has and when you look at what you need in the playoffs, right? To be up 3-1 despite the fact that Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau and William Carlson, like three of their top five players, haven't necessarily been carrying the mustard offensively. I mean, that just shows you the depth required to win at this time of year. The the army that is needed, right? <laughs> and, and the Canucks are on their way in a lot of respects. I, I do think that this core group, right, with Pedersen, Horvat, Hughes, Markstrom, like, arguably they've already pulled off the biggest upset in franchise history, beating the St. Louis Blues as they did the first round. And clearly, in terms of the diversity of positional need, those guys hit. 
the Canucks have never had a young core group like this, and, and Markstrom's not young, but nonetheless, like a, an excellent goaltender plus that down the middle and and on defense. I mean, that's not the type of structural integrity this Canucks team has ever enjoyed when you think about the best teams in franchise history being really like winger driven until 2011, where you at least had two elite centers, but no franchise defensemen. Like this is a new thing for this Canucks franchise 50 years into its existence. And nonetheless, in terms of the supporting cast around them, you know, I think there's a long way to go here. And I do think that that's a big takeaway or a big takeaway that the Canucks themselves should have from this series and that fans should have too, which is that, boy, like, boy, do you ever need a ton. You know, a player like Chandler Stevenson, I mean, how good has he been in this series? He's their fourth-line center. He's their fourth-line center. They got him for a fifth-round draft pick in, in season. You know, Alex Tuck is a monster, an absolute, absolute beast. And, you know that's on their third line. They haven't even needed to elevate him. Like if they had a key injury to one of their top four wingers, what a, what an amazing player to be able to just elevate, right? Like that's crazy. It's nuts to think about. And that's the kind of depth that's required at this time of year. And it's why Vegas is going to be maybe even favored in the event that they're able to finish the Canucks off in one of the three opportunities that they have remaining over the course of this week. Um, and advanced, that's why they're probably going to be one of the big favorites in the conference final should they make it there. And, and, and as for the Canucks, I know it seems like three straight wins against a team this good and this deep is insurmountable. You know, again, we've seen this team, backs to the wall, show up. We've seen them do special things. We've seen them do special things against the odds, against favored clubs. And I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt that they'll show up in game five. Um, you know, I, I've already, I'd already say that they've outperformed my expectations in this series, and I, and I picked Vegas in five. Uh, that, that prediction may yet come to pass, but I also think that the Canucks have shown enough that the, I would say credibly that they've exceeded my expectations, not just in the playoffs, but in this particular series. I expect them to have a really big game five, and I wouldn't be stunned if they managed to be one of the rare teams in bubble life to extend a series. You know, we've learned that throughout these playoffs, that when you think they're down, that they rise back up. And, and that's what you do. You have to like about this group. I know you sort of have written about that. People can check that out at uh, The Athletic as well, that your column out of last night's game is, the, you know, the belief, and we, we touched on it earlier in the podcast, but the belief to build around is there, it's in place. The, the right guys sort of lead the charge in that regard. So uh, they will play. They'll play a game five, and we'll see if they play a game six, but we know for sure that there will be a fifth game in the series that goes on Tuesday night. If you're looking for more hockey coverage here as August gives way to September, you may want to check out the two-man advantage pod at The Athletic. That's Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebron. And this week they talked to Jim Rutherford, the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins, who was active last week on the trade front. Always seems to be active, so lots to get into with Jim Rutherford. You may want to check out the two-man advantage pod here at The Athletic. Uh, Also, check out our comment section for each episode for the VanCast, and you can do that at the Athletic app. And don't forget, rate and subscribe, the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash the VanCast, you get 40% off your subscription. And look, we love the comments and lots of feedback on the 100th episode, lots of comments and response to the sort of uh, more serious podcast that we did on the weekend. It can't all be fun and games. Sometimes life gets in the way, as it has here over the last week or so. But uh, lots of pods. In the future, for us, as uh, August finishes up, and we, uh, they, they're going to play September hockey. 
Not much we know. Usually it's training camp <laughs> at this time of the year, but they're still playing hockey in a bubble on September the 1st. It truly is uh, a bizarre, bizarre year. We know that much, but uh, we'll see. You're going to stay. We know that you're in for the long haul. It's just a question of <laughs> are the Canucks sticking around for a whole lot longer uh, you'll be there to document uh, everything in Game 5 and beyond if they can push the series to a sixth game on Thursday night. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Honestly, I'm looking forward to it a ton. And I'm looking forward to tonight's Dallas Avs game, too. I, I, you know, We haven't seen a Game 7 yet in the playoffs. I don't know if we'll get one this round, but if there's one team that I'm really betting on making it interesting here despite the circumstances, it is that Colorado Avalanche team. That series has been insane in that, you know, it reminds me of some of those West Coast Express era playoff games a little bit where you, like, watch the game and you're like, man, this one team is way better than this other team. And then you look up at the scoreboard and you're like, they're losing. (laughs) Like, like it really has felt like that throughout the series. But I do still think the Avs have the horses to, you know, make their presence withering, annoying, and be a really difficult final out especially because they have the most maniacally competitive player in the NHL on their team, and that man is Nathan McKinnon. I- I'm-, I'm fascinated to see how that one plays out. Um, and then the Canucks in tough on Tuesday. I- I'll look forward to that. Honestly, I think for all that we've learned a lot about the Canucks and for all that they've delivered with their backs against the wall so many times during this run so far and during the season, I do think this game facing elimination a do or die contest you know it's another test another tremendous learning experience for this group i'm fascinated to see how they react well win or lose our pledges uh, we'll be back with another pod after game number five in this series and we'll do one after game well we wouldn't do one after game six because six and seven would go back to back but uh, regardless lots of pods ahead in the month of september don't worry (laughs) whether they're playing or not there's a ton of stuff to talk about and we'll cover it all off here at the bandcast of the athletic and theathletic.com (laughs) 